And we're back. It's been a fun two weeks away, but I couldn't stay away for too long because this is the best podcast in the world. You all know it. Um, and I'm in Rich- Richmond, Virginia. Richard, Virginia. And you know what that means. A special guest and a special guest and a special guest and a special guest and a special guest on the intro this time and his name is John Markle. Hi, John. Hey, buddy. Um, so today on the podcast, uh, it's been a couple weeks. I was in Ireland, and uh, today, how, was that? how was that? Pretty good. Ireland was pretty great. You sent me a text that said, "I'm not coming back. Good luck." <laughs> Good luck, everyone. Not coming back. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first four days was really, really great. We uh, we traveled around the like the countryside. We saw the south, and we'd never seen the south before. Mm-hmm. I think I already told you this, but um, we saw the south, and we went to the Ring of Kerry. We went to the Dingle Peninsula, which has a funny name. <laughs> But it was really, really awesome. You saw some Game of Thrones. Saw some Game of Thrones spots up in the north near where Genevieve lives or lived um, near her mom's house, which was pretty awesome. And yeah, it was great. Her mom took me for a couple walks in the woods. It wasn't just me and her. It was it was my wife, um, Jen's mom, and Jen's brother. And she just, like, wouldn't stop. Like, we just had to keep going. And it went on for hours. And at one point, I was like, listen, we got to get out of here. I'm freaking out. We're in the woods. I can't walk anymore. So we eventually did. And it all worked out great. (laughs) (laughs) That was the shortest version. I heard a much longer version of that story. Well... But this is the intro, so that's mm. fine. Today's today's interview is on the lengthier side, so we have to keep it keep the stories about Ireland short. But what have you been up to, John? How's your we, last two weeks been? Um, fine, I suppose. And we are recording an album right now, mm-hmm. which is fun. Super duper fun. Super duper fun. Super duper fun times. Day two. Tomorrow. Yeah, day two. I, and then we I counted setup day as day one, but that that's mm, not day one. Yeah, that was. I woke up early for nothing that day. I'll tell no you reason. Tell you that much. We have shows this weekend, <clears throat> so I'm gonna go through those. Hopewell, New Jersey on Thursday. West Hampton, New York on Friday the seventh. Salisbury, Massachusetts on the eighth, which is Saturday. And then Jonathan's in Ogunquit, Maine, on the 9th. I'm going to eat so much. Do you remember what I got last time? I think you got the surf and turf. Nope. So You got a, a lobster got shoved in another lobster's lobsters. butt. <laughs> <laughs> it was a double lobster, and I went on stage and it almost threw up. <laughs> and I loved every second of it. Yeah, we worked out beforehand, though. Do you remember that I made you work out? I and you do. were so mad at me? I was pretty miserable. You were so mad. Yeah, well, there's stairs. <laughs> and I, I don't think I showered between then and dinner and then the set. But 
It was still pretty fun. Um, and then we come back and we record some more. And then we're in Washington, D.C. Washington. Washington, D.C. at uh, Union Stage for two nights in a row. Friday the 14th and Saturday the 15th. So if you haven't got your tickets, get your friggin' life together and buy some tickets. Mm. And come see us. Go Come see us play. It's fun. So on the show today, I have Mr. Dave Fox. John, you don't know Dave, but Dave is he's a really, really great Boston drummer. Okay. And uh, I've known Dave for a few years now. We kind of share some of the same gigs uh, in the Boston area, but Dave has some stuff coming up. You can check out his stuff on his website, DaveFoxDrums.com. Um, so here's his upcoming dates. He's playing with Stan Strickland, and it says Josh Rosen Quartet. I don't know if he's playing with both bands. Very possible, but that's Saturday, June 8th. Um, man, I, I can't even read my writing. Third Life... I think it says Third Life Studio in Somerville, Massachusetts. Dave, you're listening to this. I'm fucking this up so bad. Anyway, Friday, June 21st, with the Stompers and the Blue Ocean... Uh, Listen, at the Blue O. <laughs> if you like listening to Dave talk and you want to hear him play music, just go talk. to Google and type Dave Fox. All it's right. so easy to do. And then his schedule is there. Now Burn gonna, some calories. I'm going to finish this. <clears throat> June 21st with the Stompers at the Blue Ocean. Oh, oh God. I can't, I can't say the word ocean. Blue Ocean Music Hall in Salisbury, Massachusetts, Saturday, July 13th with the Gravel Project. Um, and whenever <clears throat> Dave is not available, I fill in as best as I can with the Gravel Project. But they are at the Bank of New Hampshire Pavilion. They're doing the side stage, the Magic Hat stage, before the Tedeschi Truck Show, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. Those That's guys are great. Gig. Wednesday, July 17th, with... Why don't I just bring it up on my fucking iPad that's right in front of my face? Oh, it's been a long day. Um, Wednesday, July 17th, with Tom Hambridge and the Rattlesnakes. Cape Cod Rattlesnake 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 Saturday August 31st (laughs) The Lowell Outdoor Summer Concert Series With the Stompers Um, And that's it So show updates And all that good stuff www.davefoxdrums.com And you can see those shows listed because it was probably pretty hard to follow me talking about that but yeah dave and i talk about drums and being musicians and growing how he grew up in a family with parents that were very supportive of his playing um Hmm. which is not always the case not usually the case i'd say what was the case in your in your family about music and I I was a, a bl- I guess the short version of it I was a kind of a black sheep so my parents were excited that I was interested in anything at all but um and not dead of a heroin overdose in a ditch somewhere or something right. like that but um they de- definitely the entire time up until I graduated college. They were like, you know, you can't play music full-time for a living. Why don't you be a teacher, and then you can play music at night? Yeah. I had a lot of people... I had other people, like, parents of friends of mine that, like, you know, were going to go have good jobs and stuff. Mm -hmm. I would be over at their house, like, 
you know, in high school, just hanging out, and they were like, so, Jesse, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, go to, probably go to Berkeley, play music. And they are like, well, what you should probably do is be, be a teacher. <laughs> and obviously, they didn't know me very well because I have zero patience. Because you hate kids. And I hate kids so much with a passion. So, being a teacher just is right out. Just not in the cards for me. I don't hate kids. I actually really like kids but i just don't have patience i can't do it i've never i've never been good at teaching have you ever taught bass lessons dude that was i've my, seen i've that seen was my, you teach my, bass that was my bread and butter for a lot of years and i i liked teaching bass lessons but the thing about teaching bass lessons is you also have to teach guitar lessons mm. and i would rather someone punch me in my bowels than have to teach another guitar lesson <laughs> So, enjoy the podcast episode with Dave Fox. Yep. I'm sure it's awesome. I love every episode you've done so far, Jesse. Thanks, man. I'm not even kidding. Thanks. Sounds like bullshit because I got that bullshit voice on, but I'm serious. Thanks, man. Yeah. I feel rusty. I feel rusty at doing this after a couple weeks. It's late. It's late. And the studio, one thing is weird about the studio is even though like you're you're not physically doing a lot, it makes you the most tired you've ever been. It's very mentally taxing. It is brutal. I did do about 15 flights of stairs today going up into the contr- back and forth to the fucking control room. Um, but it's cool. You know, it didn't smell or anything up there. Um... <laughs> so <laughs> So everybody enjoy this episode with myself and Dave Fox. It was a really real pleasure to s- sit down and talk with him in his lovely home. And uh yeah, enjoy it. Dave Fox. I went to UMass, played the drumline out there. I did. I did decent. Yeah, I got. I graduated with like a three five or something like that. Oh, but but I can't tell you a way thing. Way better than me. I can't tell you a thing. I, I really learned when I was there. Really? Yeah. I mean, I got a degree in uh, communications with like a political science minor, if you can believe that. And, but really, I went there and just played just played the drumline for four years. Like it oh, was wow. our life. Wow, man. But you no, know, I, I did good, and I got out. And back when I got out. Uh, I actually worked for an insurance firm right when I got out of school. They recruited me. I did a summer of drum corps. I marched this group called the Crossmen, and uh, it was amazing. And then I aged out, so I would turn 22, so you couldn't do it anymore at the time. And um, I started working in Springfield, Mass., for this insurance company, and immediately I hated it. Immediately. So Every, that's what it was, yeah. Everything about it. Um, they trained you on that you were selling whole life insurance as an investment property product, which I guess now all these years later, I don't think is the worst thing in the world. But at the time I was like, this is awful. This yeah. is just jive. And they were, you were getting trained on how to sell. You were getting trained. You would have to memorize like a script and you would, ha- I just, it, I instantly knew it was not what I wanted to do. What was the script? Was the script like really? It was like, okay, so if you had an objection, if I'm like, Hey Jesse, you know, 
I've gone over everything and I really think this is what you want to do. And you'd say, well, you know, I like it. So that like you saying you like it is like consent. And then you'd say, but right. I'm not ready to put down that much money today. So I would have okay. something ready to go. I would be ready for you to say that. Okay. And so it's called, it was called red letter language. I, and it was uh, it actually, this was very helpful because I learned this early on and yeah. I've been able to see it coming ever yeah. since. It's, I'm sure it's something you can use or if you have to like negotiate something. Or... No, I'm not very good at it, no? actually. Okay. No, I'm not good at it at all. I'm very sensitive to it. I can oh. feel it coming oh. and I get very uncomfortable. Okay. No, I'm, I'm it way... It sparks this like old anxiety. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm way too... Um, I don't know what it is. I don't have that instinct to... to like if I say, hey, Jesse, um, I got this killer set of headphones I want to sell you and you're like man yeah. those are great but you know I'm going to take my time and, and I'll be and like yeah. shop around I'm yeah. like yeah Jesse should take his time and it is his money and he will come to the right decision, yeah. decision and I like him yeah yeah. I can't be like hey you know what no he needs I, I need to close this deal so what would you say if, if it came well if I, it came what ended that. up happening is I, I went around and you'd have to cold call people and I actually did pretty good for like the short time I was there they were grooming me to be this like yeah. you know I don't know, uh, financial planner, insurance, you know, salesman basically worked for the company. They get kids out of school and I had a communications background so I could speak and I I memorized the script. No problem. I had no problem going into people's houses and talking to them. And, um, I went one night in, um, to this guy's house and he, like just destroyed me. He was nice and everything, but he was like, I remember he brought out a piece of paper and he was like, so you're telling me, and they only taught you enough. Like they didn't teach you. They, they go through every scenario. Right. It's kind of like that. They, you know, like they would teach a kamikaze pilot only to, to fly the plane, not to <laughs> land it. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. They would teach you enough that you wouldn't think about it too much. So you would be like, no, I'm, this is right. You should do this. So when someone's like, actually, I don't think so, you wouldn't. And he broke it down for me. He was like, hey, man, why are you out selling this? He's like, let me show you something. And he yeah. he broke the numbers down. He broke down like rates of return, investment vehicles, you know. And he was like, you seem like a nice kid. He's like, do you realize what you're going around asking people to do? Yeah. And then I was just like, I was done. You know. Well, did you grow up? Did your uh, parents or someone else tell you like you need to have a backup plan? Yeah, my father plan. was very cool, but he was very um, realistic at the same time. Right. Yeah. He was. Uh, he said, you know, he paid for my schooling, which was amazing. And he said, oh, I'm going to send you to UMass, um, and I'll pay for your schooling. I know you like it there. And at the time, UMass Amherst was a state school, so mm-hmm. it was not as hard as it is to get into today. Yeah. And Probably not as as expensive. Yeah, as and I was like really into music, and um, really liked you know I was playing the drums and I was involved in all the music stuff at my school and it was what I was good at. I wasn't a good athlete. Yeah, you know. And back then was a time where, you know, you had to find something to be good at. They wasn't as well rounded. You know, maybe not in high school you're 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 doing that, but I feel even raising kids now, everything is well rounded. And back then. They, I was, and I'm the youngest of five, so I was told pretty early, you're not good at these things. You are very talented here, so you should think about doing this. Oh, man. Yeah. Youngest so, of five? Yeah. Holy crap. Yep. That's a, that's a lot of kids. Yes, it is. I'm the youngest of, of three. Yeah, we're a little old school. Yeah. You don't see families that big anymore. No. Um, are you the youngest by, like, a lot? What's what's the age gap? Um. So, um, it's four, four, four. Two, 
So my oldest sister is 14 years older than me. My brother is 12 years older than me. My wow. sister is eight years older than me. And the next sister is four years older than me. Holy so, fuck. Yeah, that's a, that's a big age gap. Wow. My, and and yeah. my father, I was born, this is kind of mind-blowing now that I think about it, because I still, I used to think he was so old growing up. I'm my dad's age now when he, they had me. So I say that to Stacey all the time. I'm like, okay, picture us having a baby right now. And picture there being uh, two more kids running around this house. <laughs> Jesus. I know. So That's crazy. It is crazy. My, but, my brother is eight years older than me, and my sister is six years older than me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if... You, well, you kind of got a little bit of that going on there. Yeah, where you've got, a little bit. That actually had a lot to do with... Um, that, that shaped me musically in a huge way. Because yeah. I was... So I was born in 75... And by the time I was three, four years old, old enough to know what I was hearing, I had teen, there were teenagers in the house listening to Led Zeppelin and Rush. I shared a room with my brother who was 12 years older than me. And he was, he was a drummer. He played all the way till college hmm. and uh, he was good. And he was really into the rock of the day. He, so he was in the Zeppelin, Rush, Sticks, The Who. And I heard all of this stuff before I really knew what it was. Mm. So years later, when someone was like, you've never heard Moving Pictures by Rush? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they played it for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what this is. So it was really cool. And then I had another sister, um, my eldest sister. She was um, into very hip stuff, too. She was into reggae. And she was into... um, And then my... Middle sister, Christine, was very talented. She could sing and play the violin. Actually, everybody played an instrument, and everybody had to take dance lessons. So I took tap dance when I was like six years old. I actually was going to take tap lessons, too, because my we had the shoes. They were in the house. Like We grew up, but we were pretty... poor family growing up (laughs) but you know you just have a bunch of kids running around and my dad was constantly doing like home improvement projects and stuff like that he was super handy and uh yeah i just remember we all we had all this stuff around like i started playing trumpet when i was really young because my dad Mm -hmm. had a trumpet just lying around it was just lying around i would go and learn how to play it but tap Tap was, and was I, I don't, I don't, I only know this because I've seen a picture, and this is going to be a recurring theme. This is one of these things that I think back to now. It's like, man, if I had stuck with that, you know, when you see like a really good tap dancer, especially as yeah. a drummer, yeah. my God, it's incredible. Yeah, and you know, like like uh, Steve Gag could tap dance, and Buddy Rich could tap dance, you know, yeah. and it's it is incredible. It's, yeah, it's just so. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that it was not that, but uh, yeah, I did. My, my parents, my poor mother, I think she just really tried to broaden my horizons, yeah, which was good in certain ways. <laughs> it brings back a really specific memory. Like I remember finding the shoes, putting them on, and messing around in the house. And my brother coming over, like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, get those things. Yeah, off. get those off. You put you in a headlock." <laughs> but you guys were. Uh, so you you heard all this music. I right? heard all this music because other than my siblings, the house was very. Um, oh, my mother listened to stuff. Actually, my mother, my mother was into. Um, actually, if I remember correctly, she was into uh, like Judy Garland and like show tunes, and uh, that was like her thing. Yeah, and then like Anne Murray, she liked the Beatles. She liked John Denver. So there was some of that around. 
But there was nothing really um, bluesy or soulful except for what was coming from my siblings. And actually, that's kind of where yeah. I found my thing. Yeah. Is when I found later on, when I started to find those records, uh, I was like, what is this? Yeah. In jazz, too. They had a few jazz records. My mother loved Big Band. I remember that. And my father really, I don't really remember him listening to much, um, but he loved uh, like traditional Irish music. Oh, he he really? used to listen to this thing called the Irish Hit Parade, um, which I may have even been more of popular Irish music, but he loved the Irish Hit Parade and he would listen to it on this beat up like radio every Saturday on his day off. Yeah. Uh, and he would do projects. What did he do? What, what was his job? He was an accountant. He worked oh, for wow. a company called Raytheon. Uh, yeah, which was right over here in Lexington. Yeah, and he worked. I've I've driven by it many times. Yeah, he worked for them for um, years, like uh, maybe thirty years. He, okay. reti- he retired early when he was sixty, but I mean that's what he did. He worked for Raytheon. Gotcha. And um, by the time I was born, my mother stayed home, and so my father worked. He worked very hard, very long hours, and um, he was a great guy. He was very. Um, very humble, very dig- yeah. dignified, worked hard. He believed in working hard. and But he was a very uh, funny guy, and he was a very talented guy. He just really believed in being humble. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think of that a lot because I don't know how, how much of that's rubbed off or not. But I think of him a lot. You know, we'll get into it, too. When you meet a lot of people doing what we do, Yeah. you know, you, you always kind of think of someone that had a certain integrity. So he, yeah. was, he was very good. So, yeah, he worked for Raytheon and... Um, but I found out later on in life he was pretty talented. Like he, one day when I started to take drums seriously, we had a kit, my brother's old kit, set up in the basement, and he sat down and played it. Like he played like a really good buzz roll, and he was playing. Um, he was keeping time with his feet, and he was whistling over it. Really? Yeah. And I was like, "What the heck?" It's not easy to do. No. And I was like, "Well, how do you know how to do that?" And he was like, "Where do you think you get it from?" And like, <laughs> and then he stood up and walked away. <laughs> It was very cryptic. Like, Listen, explain yeah. yourself. No, no, there was none of that. <laughs> yeah. There was none of that. Like he, it was almost him saying, "Listen, everything you're passionate about right now, your whole talent, yeah, is no big deal. Oh man, like, get a job. That's but hilarious. It, it is hilarious. He was, uh, and then I did find out he actually, as a kid, took study drums, took okay. drum lessons. All right. Yeah, and um, yeah, he was talented. He was an incredible whistler. That was his big thing. He would whistle these these Irish tunes. Mm-hmm. So he was really into the Irish Hit Parade. Uh, these group called um, Tommy Makem and the Clancy Brothers. He was really into those. So that was his okay. music. And um, I hated it. You hate- I hated it. What about now? Have you learned now to like I've, it? Yes, I've learned to real like everything. Yeah. You get older and be like, wow, that, that I should have actually opened up my ears yeah. and not been so ignorant. Because now you know what's happening. Now it's happening and yeah. now it's kind of cool that that was his thing too, you know? And um, yeah, some of that stuff is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, really great, you know? Yeah. And of course, if you see like an Irish session... In a bar, Irish folk music is just, it's, it's pretty, and rhythmically, it's, it's way more advanced than, than you think at first listen. So yeah. it, it's really cool. My wife and I have to go to it. We haven't been to an Irish session. She's from Ireland. Oh, I, cool. I don't know if you knew that. No, um, I didn't. Yeah, she's from Northern Ireland. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So uh, my parents would be so happy. Yeah, we're going, we're going there in May. So we'll be over there and hopefully, you know, we're going to explore a little bit. We've never Oops. really been to the South before. Right. Um, so we're going to, check all that out and then fly to Belfast kind of closer to where she was, she grew up and hang out with her mom and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. It'd yeah be fun. That's great. What did your mother do? My mother, uh, by the time I was born, yeah. she was just stayed at home. She, okay. Before that, um, I want to say she was like a secretary 
And um, she was pretty amazing, though, because she ran our house. Yeah. You know, very, so this is a pretty classic American. Yeah, you don't see it anymore. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and, and not only, and our family wasn't unique. Um, there, That was how the neighborhoods worked back then. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't want to say only the males worked, but a lot of moms were more around. Yeah. And a lot of kids were more out in the neighborhood. Right. You know, and it was just, it was a different time. Uh, you know, back then, all you, if you worked hard, you know, and worked hard. Yeah. At something, you know, there was, it, there was enough that you could, uh, sustain a family, a large family and, uh, someone could stay home. Yeah. Nowadays, you not see that now. No, nowadays it's, uh, parents are killing themselves, killing themselves. And then you're also paying outrageous amounts of money for childcare and ways that your children, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, um, it's pretty different nowadays, you yeah. know, and I can say with, uh, and, and actually I'm very fortunate given what I do. I do, I spend a lot of time, I've been able to do a lot during the day with my kids. You know, I kind of work, you know, if I'm teaching in the afternoon at one of the music schools, that doesn't really start till three. So I'm here in the day and then I gig at night and the weekends, which, yeah. but I'm here, you know, for their daytime stuff. And when they were little, little, when they were babies, I mean, I was, I was a stay at home dad pretty much. I gigged, yeah. taught a little bit and then raised them. And, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So my mother really ran the household, you know, cool. she took care of the day and it was very, you know, like that whole wait till your father gets home. Like <laughs> yeah. that was a very real thing that was you, said many a time, that was, sure. you know, and like, that was a real thing, you know, and, and I, I don't think that exists anymore, but yeah, it was great. But my mother was good. Yeah. She, now it's probably wait till your mother gets home. Yeah. Or it's wait till, <laughs> wait till, um, Whichever parent is doing pickup today gets home. Right. They can meet the other parent at the evening activity. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, there's so many logistical things going on. It's, it's it's crazy. I can imagine it's super hard. I mean, my brother, I don't have any kids, but my brother has two kids. Mm-hmm. I have a niece and a nephew. And it's like, all right, who's going to karate now? Yep. Who's yep. going to gymnastics? Who's doing this? Who's yep. picking up who? And they both work. They both work mm-hmm. full time. So it's like... It, it's, it's 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 good and bad, difficult. you know. It's it's great um, to have your kids involved in a lot of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's fun. And then if you live um, in a great, and I'm sure all communities are great. Uh, we really, you know, we love the community we live in. So mm-hmm. you know, you, you get to know parents, and you get to kind of see people at you see the same kind of parents at all the different things. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of where the community is. Gotcha. The community is in the activities where back in the day the community was in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. So, yeah, cuz I remember being in my neighborhood growing up and just you just go out of your house, you know, being really young, you'd leave mm-hmm. your house, get hop on your bike, go down to the yep. next door neighbor's house, hop in, you know, have a snack and like go, well, and go you meet know up with all the kids. And a lot of people um depending on the the genre of music, a lot of musicians learned to play that way. They were bands that started in the neighborhood. Yep. You know, I I remember even by the time I got to high school and got serious about the drums, we all went to this guy's house. It wasn't the exact neighborhood I was in, but it was like one neighborhood over. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I left my set of drums there and we would just go there every day and play. Yeah. You know, terribly. But... We, you know, we were in school, we were in all the school band programs and I took lessons, but I learned a ton from hacking away at things with those guys. Was that, was that house or that group of kids, was that like the band house where you, you know, you would always hang out there? Like how long did that go on for? Because I remember I have an experience because the the house was was my house. Right. Because the drums were set up there. Right. I had that too. My father was pretty big. It went like this. Um, 
I was for the first couple of years of high school, all the guys that were forming the bands outside of the school band were all older than me. Yeah. So I was because I, I could play pretty well for fourteen, fifteen. I picked it up very quickly. Yeah. And then, um, so I just got recruited by these older kids to play in the band, which when you're in sophomore in high school is like that's it. You've you've made it. Right. Right. <laughs> so we would go to this guy's house, and then what happened is they all graduated and they all went on to other things. So going, you know, now I'm fifteen, and I was like, oh, well, what am I going to do now? You know, so then we started to play at my house. I, I found some other guys at that point. Some of the a couple of them were the same that were also closer to my age, and that's kind of how it went. You know, so first few years it was at this other guy, one guy's house. Then it was at my house for a couple of years. Then I went off to college. Then uh, my father sold that house when I was at college, and yeah. that's how it went. But yeah, there was some formative years. Of, what kind of music were you guys playing? Um, Covers like like those old rock and roll tunes no i'll tell you exactly what it was at first these and this this is pretty funny these guys were obsessed with the blues brothers albums dude obsessed i was obsessed with the blues brothers albums they're incredible they are incredible theme from peter gunn exactly she caught the caddy exactly so what ended up happening was um they were That's a so lot of them were horn players. Okay. And uh, so oh, yeah. They, so they were and I was into so before this happened, I was like Rush was my life as every 14-year-old drummer I think in the suburbs mm-hmm. goes through. I mean, it was like you know, I couldn't play any of it, but I was just like I'm going to find a band because you know you'd listen to a Rush album and all these people were screaming and yeah. I was like, "Well, that's the way it is. You get in a band like Rush and thousands of people are going to <laughs> yeah. love you." Like, who wouldn't want to listen to Xanadu for 12 minutes? <laughs> I would, but I thought, like, I, I was 14 listening to those records and being like, this is the way it is. Have you seen their Netflix documentary? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I love how they, they show their fans and it's like, it's all men. Of course it is. It's 100, like, it's 99.9%. Yeah, I, I remember when the first time someone told me, they're like, you realize that, like, they're not cool, right? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? You're cool to me. That's what I, right. Yeah, yeah. And to this day, they still are. But yeah, oh, I went through a phase for many years where that was like, a, I didn't really talk about that. Okay. You know, yeah, but yeah. then like I would meet a fellow Rush nerd and it would like all come out. Yeah. And then I realized just about everybody, every drummer I know is, is gone through a serious Rush phase. Oh yeah. I went through a Rush we phase. Do. Totally. I yeah. think it's really important. I had it. I had a kit that was like, uh, <laughs> man, it, you know, I had the, the pearl rack system with all the, yep. the stuff and the symbols. You and, know, I, I think, um. And if you speak to people just a little, uh, one generation older than us, mm-hmm. who I do play a lot with, um, you know, that was, Rush was kind of our Beatles. You know, that whole generation, yeah. the Beatles were, and Beatles were very important to us, don't get me wrong, but, you know, as far as it just being very natural and you know everything and you never thought twice about it. Yeah. You know, like Getty Lee's voice in those albums, I was like, yeah, what's the big deal? People yeah. are like, you like that? I'm like, yeah, this is how people sing. Oh, interesting. So yeah. I got in with these guys and yeah. they were like... Um, you, they were like, you need, and it wasn't a suggestion. They're like, you need to know these albums. Okay. They were like, briefcase full of blues and made in America. And uh, I'll still pop on briefcase. Oh my god, full of it's Steve Jordan. This is incredible, yep. right? And it's it's the sta- uh, Stax rhythm section. I think it's Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn and yep. Paul Schaefer's on a lot of that. I mean, it's it's legit. Yep. yep. And now uh, you learn all those great songs. So that was the part, and this was the day of tapes. Yeah tapes so guy made me a tape of the blues brothers that was huge and then um also so that one of the guys had an older brother that had a band and um 
I still talk to him to this day. I know who he is. And um, Tony Mealy. And he had a band. And so we all looked up to, to this guy's band. It was a horn band. And they did all the Blues Brothers stuff. They did Jay Giles. They did a yeah. whole bunch of other stuff. And this guy's brother was great because we were just a bunch of punk kids. And he'd be like, you guys, what are you guys doing? He goes, you guys don't know this. You got to learn this. And he was like, you guys need to know what James Brown Live at the Apollo is. And oh, there, was, yeah. there was another yeah, album, Gravity, that was big around that time because Living in America was on Gravity. Yep. Rocky Ford come out. Yep. So by, yeah, sophomore year, I had checked out the Blues Brothers and James Brown and my oldest sister, the uh, my oldest oldest sister, had married a guy because at this point she's you know in her twenties and I'm fourteen, and he was a drummer. Mm-hmm. This guy and um, he was really into like fusion, and so he yeah. was like, "You play the drums?" I was like, "Yeah," and he's like, "What do you like?" I'm like, "Rush," and he's like, "No, no, no." And he, he like Return to Forever guy. Yeah, he was yeah. no. Uh, it was like Yellow Jackets. Yeah, oh, some yeah. of that Spirogyra. I'll never forget. He made me a tape. He was another one. He's like, I'm making you this tape. It's so funny how like all these different influences come in from other areas. Like I had, I had a, a friend of mine, you know, burn me a CD of, uh, you know, and this is the generational thing, but burn me a CD of, of the meters. Right. And I listened to funkify your life right. every day for, for two years yeah. or whatever it was. And you know, you learn all these things and, Get all these different influences. It's amazing. It's awesome. So he he burned me that tape. And then, okay, so the big thing that stuck with me, he was like, he's like, what do you know about Tower of Power? I was uh, like, I don't know anything. What is that? Yeah. I thought they were like a metal band. And he's like, you, you kind of look like Dave Garibaldi. Well, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is he's like 70. And I know, I get it. I look like how he looks now. So I can no, never... You t- no, <laughs> no, you don't. No, no. That's not true at all. <laughs> It's funny. I'll show you. Someone made me a, a picture. They cropped him and me next to because I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I saw. Her. I was like, wow, that does. I yeah. And it's funny. <laughs> so, but when he was younger, he had the mustache and the big afro. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Like I, I wish that's what I looked like. That's funny. So, but he, well, he's a good-looking guy. Yes. You know? Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. He's he's actually one of. Um, we'll probably talk about him. Somebody. He's one of my all-time favorites. I think yeah. there's nobody like him. So this guy. Whenever this, someone brings him up, you should be like, yeah, best-looking drummer and best-looking guy. ever. Ever. I'd be like, yeah, I, I, um, and he got hit by a train. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago, right? It's unreal. Yeah, he's fine now, though, right? Yeah, I think. I yeah, he's playing again. Okay, that's good. And he's not just playing like, hey, I got hit by a train. I'm gonna go play these gigs and kind of. St-. He's out playing the Tower of Power stuff. Yeah, he's doing what he always did. Yeah, that's like some of the hardest stuff ever. And the dude got hit by a train. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so um, this dude, he 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 brought you yeah, up to guy, speed. This guy Jeff, he was like. You gotta go check. So I got this. That's what stuck with me more than anything. I heard this Tower Power album. The the um, I guess it's called Three. It has What Is Hip and Clever Girl and Soul Vaccination. And I got it on tape. And back then the tapes were really janky. You know when CDs came out and tapes came out, you'd buy these cassette tapes. You go to like Strawberries or places like Tape World, mm-hmm. and um, vinyl was not in anymore. No one was was listening to vinyl. Yeah. Okay. It was CDs were just starting to come out, but tapes were huge. Yep. And um, you'd get by these tapes and they'd have no liner notes. They'd have nothing. They would, on the tape itself, it would have the, the, the songs. Yeah, the track listing. But you really wouldn't know who what was really going on. Right. Like, I, did, I bought this Tower of Power tape and I was like, this is great. This is so cool. And, like, I didn't even know it was David Garibaldi. Yep. You know, I didn't really know. And then a friend of mine had the live album. 
And so this is around the Red album. This is a little later that year, but we would listen to it. He drove. He was older than us. And it was in his car. And we would listen to that incessantly. You know, he'd have a tape player in the car that it would turn the tape over. Mm-hmm. This is this is dating. The car, the car would actually turn it over for you. Yeah, like you'd put the tape player in, and you'd also have a, a function on it. Like Walkmans could do this too, kids. This is some old history you're getting <laughs> right here. I feel like I should know more about it because that. Well, you you're know, not as I old was, as me. But, I was on the tail end of it, but so, but yeah, you could hit a button and it would flip over to. It would be at the point of the tape on the other side because okay. tape was on. Yeah, yeah. Both yeah. sides. I just remember having the pencil, number yep. two pencil, yeah, when it would flip. So, anyways, we we would just leave the tape in his car, and the tape cassette player would flip it over every time. It's almost like a you know, yeah. And so, on the live one, they they would at one point they would introduce all the guys as they're playing. Yeah. So we would get to that, like we would memorize who they were, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it was a lot to be said for that because we took it very seriously, like being able to find out every little nugget of info about learning you know when you don't have a lot but you love this this music that's why with students today it's great the amount of resources today is incredible you know you've got everything possible at your fingertips and i think it's great but they're like oh i'll look that up on youtube and i'll 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 stream that and i'm like no should try and try and find the album yeah and commit to really listening to the album because you're going to learn the most by doing it that way yeah you know we didn't even know what some of these people looked like yeah. Well, sometimes that's that's kind of a hindrance for me when I'm going in and trying to learn something with the tech different techniques you can use nowadays with like YouTube and stuff. Yeah. So I'll just listen and be like, what's that groove? And then I'll watch someone do it yep. and then try to replicate it. But like you said, it's so much better to go in, go through the album, listen to it, get that foundation and kind of figure out where it all kind of stemmed right. from. And I think that's something that I missed out on a little bit, but well, and you know. creatively I think, you know, I remember doing that and not really getting a lot of it right. But okay, yeah, but yeah. getting something that I kind of liked. Yeah. So and you know, just kind of playing along to it, you know, especially some of when you didn't know, like unless you bought a book or, you, or someone transcribed it or you transcribed it yourself, which right. later on I had a teacher that was very in, saying, you got to really sit down and, and yeah, cause I hated that process at first. It would drive me bonkers. Yeah. I never really, I never really did it. I, I did it because I had to mm-hmm. in college, but I just, um, you, you know, know. This, and there's guys who are awesome at it. Their ears are just, yeah. they can, you know, I probably cut so many corners, but I, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we I was going to say, you're never too late. When we, when we start to play later, it's like, oh man, there's a lot of, a lot of things you don't know. <laughs> um, but so you, you got, you got into, when did you get into playing drums seriously? Oh, when I was 14. 14. I okay. Played my first, my, so my brother played drums. Is that high school or right before high school? It's right going into high school. Right going into high yeah, school. Yeah. It's okay. pretty, I have a pretty funny story about it. Yeah. So my brother played drums growing yeah, yeah. up and he used to practice in the house. And um, so I used to listen to him and I just remember being like, I really like the way those sound. Okay. But yeah. I didn't consider myself a drummer because my brother was a drummer. You okay. Know? And I think even to this day, there's still like a part of that in my mind somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the little, the little brother complex is Yeah, totally and I just thing. think in my mind when I th- think about... And I think it's helped me because I've always thought about the drums as part of the big thing that's going on. I've not really always been like trying to always push the drums out front. In third grade, you could actually start to play an instrument and they offered string instruments. And yeah, I did I, violin. Yeah, so I did yeah. violin and I came home with a violin and I played violin. 
my sister, two sisters had played violin. One sister was, they were both good, but one was very good. I do remember they switched me to cello oh. a couple years later, or maybe the next year. Oh, and then the next year, they came to the school again. You know, it was time to re-sign up, and the guy pulled out a snare drum. Another guy had a trumpet, the other guy had a clarinet, and they played Beat It. Okay? <laughs> now, at the time, this was when Thriller was huge when I was in the fourth grade. This yeah. was this was mind blowing. Like yeah. to, to watch these guys do this, and and um, the guy just play. He probably played on the rim and the snare drum, and they played beat it. And I was like, yep. that is incredible. Yeah, I was like, I I need whatever this is. <laughs> I need to. I got to get in on this. So I went home and I was like, everybody, I've got it all figured out. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna play the drums. This is. Yeah. Uh, no. Yep. Our problems are over. <laughs> I, I told the Our whole, money problems are over. Everybody, everything's over. Great everyone's, news. Everyone stop working. Yes. I've got it all figured out for us. <laughs> and my mother was like, "No, we we had one drummer in the house, and uh, that's enough." Oh wow! All right. And, and you, so your mother almost like squashed it down. Uh, no, there's no almost squashed. She it squashed it like that. All right. And was like, "No, because you're going to do it." For a couple of years, you know, there's truth in this too. She's like, everybody wants to play the drums because it's fun. But mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you're going to drop it, and we're going to have another uh, another drummer in the house that doesn't play anymore. Well, as soon as it starts to get at all difficult, or you reach a certain plateau, then it's like. So this was the I'm deal. Done. I had to play cello and stick with it. Okay. So I don't know whether I was actually good at it or they didn't have enough kids, but. I was like being groomed to be this cello player. Okay. <laughs> and um, I, I, I played it and I hated it. And I hated it because this is an important lesson. I was always worried about what others thought of me. I was worried about being picked on. Yeah. And I was worried about, you know, you know, I really, this was like my dark secret. I didn't want anybody to know. That was the same thing for me with violin. Yeah. I, I quit more or less straight away yeah and you know and, and so i i really for beca- that reason it became like you know it became a thing that i had to do and uh and, and it, when it came time ta- when it finally came down to actually playing and performing and doing the concerts i loved it like yeah. i loved the feeling of 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 playing music yeah you know i was really into it but i always was watching the band students and most particularly the percussion and being like man if there's ever a chance to get to even do that yeah that that just seemed unattainable so what ended up happening is i got along uh into middle school and i kept up with the cello i either was again good enough that i could do well without um i mean it it came naturally to me you know the timing of it and this because i didn't put a lot of time into it but i was probably good enough right that they were like you know you're fine and this is a good thing for you. You need to keep this up. But I got really into art at the time. I was really, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be an artist. Wow. Yeah. And I was really into comic books and drawing. And, uh, and that's all I did when I was a kid. Were you pretty outgoing as a kid or were you more of a, more of an introvert? No, I think I'm exactly the same. Okay. I think I was yeah, probably yeah. worse. I think I talked all the time and <laughs> I, I think I was, um, actually I know exactly what I was. I have a daughter that I think I was a lot like. Okay. Like gotcha. nonstop with the, the chit chat. Yeah. The, that, so I was outgoing to a point. I, I think a lot of people thought I was outgoing. I had a lot of um, inhibitions that like anything takes you years. You know, you're your own worst enemy. Like right. yeah. worrying about what other people think. Of right. You. Exactly. You know, and I, that was a big thing. And I, and I still not really, um, I wasn't a good athlete. 
an athlete in terms of being coordinated enough to catch and throw a ball. Mm-hmm. So as much as I love running and became a decent runner over the years, um, being able to really play baseball, football, and basketball was like was like a challenge for me. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I wasn't a tough kid at all. So yeah, I think I got by. I had a lot of great friends. There's still great friends to this day. I think I, I was uh, definitely, you know humorous and outgoing and i was very artistic yeah so that was kind of lumped in it was like i I played in the orchestra i did art we were also very religious we did a lot with our church uh was an altar boy and all that and then what ended up happening is when we got to middle school um i was really into yeah i'm going to be an artist and um a lot of my good friends at this point were going to go to what was called, we had a regular high school and a vocational high school. So by eighth grade, you could choose to go to the vocation high school to learn more of a trade. So these guys would go to that high school and also learn, you know, to eventually become an HVAC person. So the big plan for us that we're going to go to high school was we weren't going to do anything. Okay. Because this became a thing. Like eighth grade, I'll never forget, like the summer of eighth grade, we got really into not doing anything. Like okay. we would, we would get together and not like today. Kids have all this stuff. Like not doing anything was a big thing. <laughs> yeah, it was a big thing for me too. It was so what we were doing, and, and it really, I was into not doing stuff. Okay, I was, I was just like, yeah, it was lazy. But what would you do? Just like we would go down you? and hang out at the railroad track, the abandoned railroad tracks, uh, smoke cigarettes. You know, I didn't really smoke, but, you know, and um, do stupid things that 13-year-old boys so any, do. Any cliche movie thing that you would see, like, kids just hanging out in train tracks? That, yeah, I think, that's all what those I, that's 80, what I, I think all those 80s movies, you know, there was a little bit of that. Okay. You know, Goonies and Stand By Me and all of that. We were... <laughs> but, like, not as, as Hollywood. I think it was... I think, really, we were just being knuckleheads, you yeah, know? Well, and so my mother, who was, um, by this point, she's on her fifth child and... She was just like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, uh, you know, I'm going to be cool. And um, I like comic books and this. And she's like, what are you going to do? You're going into high school next year. You're not an athlete. You know, you're not that smart. Yeah. So she's like, what's going on? And I was like, well, the plan is to hang out. Yeah. You know. And so we were starting to butt heads at this point. I think I caddied at a golf course that summer and barely caddy did that yeah you know and so um and i was getting into like not doing anything yeah like i was in my head and you know just being like oh yeah you know i'll read comic books and draw pictures and watch movies and listen yeah. to the tapes and that's that's what just I'm drift do. around i didn't know I, and then i found out later on in life i actually could have made a career doing that you know what i mean like people yeah, have gone. <laughs> yeah people are famous for it. yeah i know but at the time i was you know people it, make a lot of money not doing. i anything. know if, and if i saved all of that and uh, you know my transformers i'd be a millionaire <laughs> we, we we had a bunch yes. of transformers there and uh, actually i talked about one, with one of my good friends recently and his brother was the coach of the freshman soccer team and he's like i want you two guys to come out for the freshman soccer team and so i think his mom and my mom talked and they're like these guys are gonna you know because they they knew what we we're up to yeah and i saw what they were doing down the field these kids were running double sessions in august and I was like, hell no, I'm not, not me. Not me. He ended up doing it. He was he became the goalie. And then I came home after I think I thwarted that, and my bags were packed. No shit. Bags were packed. It with the no and I was like, what's all this? And my mom's like, Oh yeah, uh, you're going to band camp. And I was like, 
band camp. But wait, I'm not supposed to do anything. I, right. And I'm not in the band. And she's like, oh, yeah, the marching band needs. I was like, the march, the marching band. I'm like, I'm not going in. That's, that's might as a, well be military. Yes, I was like, I was like, that's the death sentence. I'm not going into high school. When, when, when your plan was to do nothing and fly under the radar to mm-hmm. then being in the marching band. Yeah. Like out on the football field in a uniform. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that was so it was like, man, she knew what she was doing. My life is over. <laughs> and um, so I got I got dropped off at the high school one morning. I got put on a bus with a bunch of kids I didn't know, scared to death. Yeah. I was only like either just about to turn 14 or just turned 14. Oh, and I was like, well, I play cello. And she's like, oh, they'll find something for you to do. And that was it. And then so I get out to Beckett, Mass., which was, or Lennox. It was out in the Berkshires. So it's like yeah. a three-hour drive. And, you know, all these upperclassmen. And, like, I was just sitting there. I'm like, oh, man, this is this is, this is is like out of a movie. How big of, a, of an effect that did that have on you? Oh, I mean, it must have been. Life-changing. Yeah. So I get there. Yeah. And that was a life life course changing I can, moment i can actually point everything since then to that moment but That's awesome it is awesome and um so uh we um get out there and they took us in a room and they were like okay well what do you play i'm like uh, and, I, and at this point like this is like you know i don't know what to tell i don't know what to do and they're like oh well come with us and they brought us like in this cabin or something and they had all the percussion instruments and they were like, oh, you have really good time. Yeah. And I think they knew that, too, from, like, one, you know, music teachers all talking. They were like, yeah, he has good time. And and I saw they had the cymbals, and I really didn't want to play the cymbals. But they were like, here, they were like, have you ever played this before? They gave me, like, a couple mallets. And um, they wrote out some rhythms and, like, play that. And I played it on the bass drum. Mm-hmm. And then they, a couple of the older guys who could play played it on the snare drum, and we started playing. They're like, yeah, you, you're going to play bass drum. And okay. it was like... It was the most incredible thing to be able to play that. Yeah. Like, I can remember this clearly in my mind. Oh, yeah. So it was hooked. From that moment on, I was just hooked. So, and then I met some guy. Okay, so then I met the guys in the band. This is before high school even started. These yeah. people I met in this band became like my, some of them, a couple of them, lifelong friends. Yeah. One of them I just talked to the other night. He lives in California now. And, um, like so that week it's like i had all new friends after a little bit of hazing which was you know to be expected to be to be expected and back then that Completely was a little, probably more than they do today but that yeah. was you know that was good i needed it yeah you know this was someone who was into doing nothing and now it was like oh yeah <laughs> now you're on a team and now you got friends and um so i got home and like so i was like a new person my yeah. parents were like what'd you think i was like i love it I was like, I want to play drums now. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm dead serious. And That's like, awesome. Yeah. They signed me up for lessons. And I started playing drums right then. And my father was like, so I played drums and cello for two school years. Gotcha. I, this, I, played, yeah. I still played in the orchestra. And I played drums in the marching band and eventually the jazz band and the show choir band. What kind of marching band was it? It was like it was a small. show band? or No, or? it was, we marched. Okay. It was... Um, it was smaller, but that led me to get to... We talked about UMass earlier. Yeah. That, we went to like a band day, and I saw the UMass band. Yeah. Only like a month later. And I was like, I have to do that someday. Yeah. They were incredible. Was it something about the precision that kind of drew the precision. You I had never seen anything like that. I'd never seen drums played that way. Yeah. It was the precision. It was the sound. Yep. Like, and it was just... When you hear those snare drums all all playing and... and in like unison with mm-hmm. each other it's it's one of the coolest things it's, a, ever. it's incredible the drum the drum line sound is such nothing a cool, like it's it. such a cool sound nothing like it. And it became, and it, then this became a big 
Drumline and that whole thing became a huge part of my life for years. Yeah. For years. Up until like, you know, um, mid-30s because I taught it for years too. Okay. I taught, I ended up teaching high school drum lines. I went, oh, wow. went to UMass. I did drum corps. Then I taught right out of college. Oh, man. One of them. You What's, know, like what school? Day. It was Blackstone Millville Regional. Okay, great. Which Stacy, my wife, is from. She went to that high school. Awesome. But I didn't meet her there. Oh, where'd you meet her? UMass. UMass. In the right. marching band. Yeah. So when you when you were making the transition from high school to college, yeah, is this when more of the not regimented, but more of the um, you, you just kept getting more serious about playing yeah. drums? Yeah. You know? So then college, like the technical aspect, right? So college was the next time. Freshman at college was when the next big thing happened. Okay. So high school, you know, to, to continue with that, got in the marching band. And so those same guys that I was telling you about earlier that hit me to the Blues Brothers and all that. Yeah, yeah. They were in the marching band. Okay. So these were the guys that, like, I got to be friends with. They were older than me. Gotcha. You know, after a year of being freshman, then then you were, you know. And and uh, me and another guy, we, we got, I got pretty good at playing the drums, like, in a year. Yeah. Like, real good at it. Yeah. For I picked it up very quickly. And uh, my parents were fully supportive. My mother actually passed away the following February. Oh, no. Sorry. Thank you. But just I I think I mainly bring it up to say that that was like a real heavy thing she did to give me that kind of gift and guidance. Right. 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 She passed away. Oh, man. Wow. That's that's pretty powerful. It is. And I, I, I really it's as i've gotten older i think about it much more and more and more it's quite it's it's quite powerful and yeah you know as musicians and as a teacher you know sometimes it's not about like finding something to do to be the absolute greatest or best at it it's sometimes just having something to do like the words that she said to me that really stay with me are is you have to do something mm-hmm. and when your parents say that when you're a kid you just think that they're kind of getting on you and meaning you're lazy and although you are and and you do have to get it together yeah but there what i think it means is that you really have to find something you love to do yeah to find yourself yeah you know and for me that was really it yeah because i hadn't found it yet there were little glimpses of it here and there and the other weird thing is i completely stopped drawing once i started playing the drums completely completely it was like the same part of my brain i have maybe sketched a handful of things in the 30 years since Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And both my girls are like fantastic artists. Very natural. Wow. Don't judge by that that what's on the door over there. <laughs> we've got we've got like their kindergarten artwork up, but that's honestly better than anything that I could ever <laughs> even dream of. No, doing. but they are they are both like these these they're both they and and they it's all they do it all on their own. Wow. And I only say that cuz we find these pictures and I'm like, "Who the heck drew this?" Yeah. You know, and it's Oh man. So it's funny, like, I don't know if that was the same part of my brain or somewhere I had it, but I stopped drawing. All the passion that I had for art and all this type of stuff immediately stopped when I started playing Well, that switch was flipped for you. And I couldn't go back. Oh, man. It was really odd. And I've tried, and I've been like, you know, I should really get back into art. It's almost as if now that what I do is I'm a drummer professionally, and that's my work. I'm like, man, maybe my release will be art. And even to this day, it's... Maybe like when I really, really get old and I like, you know, yeah. need something. But isn't that funny? That's crazy. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, um, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, do you ever feel like you need a, the release? Even if even if no. it's even if it's not uh, 
art or anything, but just you, you need oh, to get oh, away from drums for oh, a second. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I run every day or, or do That's something. That's what it is. Yeah. It's like, okay, gotcha. And I'll do that before I practice even. Like, okay. even if I have something pending to practice, mm-hmm. that is... or And it doesn't have to be running. I have to do something... Um, moving of some sort yeah it's usually running because i love to run but yeah uh, or walking but yeah. i have to have a release absolutely gotcha. i have to clear get, my get mind get some energy clear yeah. the mind yeah that's something that i've been uh working on figuring out the last couple of years yeah and is, it, is to is to balance out my life a little bit and, yeah. and figure out some things to to clear clear my head no i was lucky too that to have a um couple teachers or one teacher later on in life bob gulati and he was his big thing is he would swim he had a pool he was really into swimming and he was just like i think he did it after gigs he might still do it but he was just like kind a of, wind down kind of med- yeah he was kind of like thing. you have to have if you're working really hard at the instrument you sometimes have to have another thing in order to 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 clear it clear out your mind yeah because totally. if you're if and you don't get me wrong you shouldn't replace the practicing of the work you need to do you should still be doing that mm-hmm. but if you're if you're just getting up you know especially if it's like gig teach go to bed get up start practicing again you kind of really need to go at it with the with the with the fresh release yeah because if you're always counting on the instrument to be the release i think that it can let you down it can let you down and i think you're going to put some unneeded things in there yeah you may not be serving it you should have it is a great release that's a great point that's you know a great what i mean yep. you might be approaching it as always being therapeutic where there are times that you you need to be coming at it a different way because More, you're almost approaching it at a uh, selfishly yeah, absolutely or so emotionally not, yeah so maybe you're not doing the best thing for the song or, or for the pe- absolutely or for the people around you know, you're not someone, listening enough you know and if someone's like and that that is how sometimes when it's like all right i gotta learn x mm-hmm. you gotta just do it yeah and then like you can't worry about having your release or mm-hmm. whatever yeah you know like when did you make the transition to uh this i guess this is jumping ahead a little bit but uh not selling insurance anymore to becoming a professional drummer oh okay um so or t- unless unless there's some other stuff after that. No, it was like a slow transition of about 10 years. Yeah. Um, I knew at that moment I decided. Yeah. Like, so it was always in my, like where I am now, I've always, it's always been, yeah. I, I knew I was, this is what I was going to do. Okay. And I was like, I am going to play drums professionally. So there must have been a point in there where you were like, okay, I'm working this I'm working this job. I got to figure out because you always wanted to have the backup plan. Yeah, and well, you had I had to, to too because that like to financially support yourself. Yeah, and yeah. and I just like there was a part of me that was like, you know, and my father actually then again gave me some great advice. He was like, actually, this is incredible. He was he. I got out of school and I, I was going over this thing with him, and he was like, look, yeah, and he's like, whatever you it is that you want to do, really make sure you want to do it. Yeah. Because he said, if it takes you 10 years to figure that out, and here, I'm 22, so you know that little transition out of college, you feel, start to feel old, or it really feels that oh, yeah. you know, you're just like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And you feel my a, little life bit worth, is, a little bit worthless. Yeah, and, like my life is over, and you're only 23 years old. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, what am I, I, I had, you know, I'm, I just had this like ridiculous crisis or whatever. But, and he was like, look, relax, get a job wake up in the morning be a contributing member of society mm. and he's like if playing music and drums is what you want to do then learn how to work and, and work at that yeah he goes because i have news for you in 10 years you're going to be 30 he goes whatever it is you're going to do 
minimum, you're going to need to do it another 35 to 40 years. So better pick something you like. Yeah. And it, oh, that's huge. It's, it was, it was yeah. huge. I mean, I think he was definitely be, uh, more on the, hey, get a job and support yourself. And But he was also like, look, if playing whatever you want to do, you just work hard at it. Yeah. You're going to have to do it. But also even even more so instilling that you need to have something that you're going to like. Mm-hmm. It, I mean. And it almost took that exact amount of time so I, I don't think i don't think everyone gets that speech or gets that talk yeah because what i was going to do is jump right back into school i was going yeah. to go to berkeley yeah and i was going to then get a degree you know and he was like well, you just finished school mm-hmm. oh and he was like I, I he paid for school which is incredible yeah. and he's yeah, like yeah. yeah so the bank's closed <laughs> <laughs> he's like like if you want to go to school you go right ahead but he was like is school He's like, are you really ready to go through four years of school? Is that going to what's mm. going to solve your thing? And actually, it wasn't. I was not prepared. This is why I didn't really major in music at UMass either. I was not prepared to learn in eight semesters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's I'm a slow learner or I just come at things just a different way. What I wanted to get out of it and what I wanted to do was going to take 10 years. And it was going to take 10 years of working a job, learning about living that way yeah budgeting and finance studying privately playing in bands teaching drum lines and then not having the pressure to have all of those little things uh live off of it yeah i went through that 10 years later right i went through that whole next phase of then okay you're a professional now your uh your whole income and your whole livelihood is depending on playing and teaching and you know i did that in my 30s and you know that's been that's been about 15 years now, somewhere around there, almost. And um, But the part of my 20s, was, it was hard on the one hand because I was like, man, I'm not really doing it. I'm working a job. But I, but I was doing it. And yeah. a, couple of, a couple of those years, uh, one of the years when I was my first studying with, with Bob Gulati, who became like major for me when I really wanted to study jazz, I really would work my job. I had just gotten married. And um, I was in a band. We'd play a little bit. But I would really just practice every day and take a lesson one day a week for about a year. Hmm. And it was really intense. Like, I would take yeah. a lesson with him every Monday, and I would work. I wouldn't have to worry about money. And then I would practice every day after work. I'd work a shift that I was done at 4 o'clock. Yeah. And I used to walk to this rehearsal space, play from, like, 4.30 to 7. My wife would pick me up when she got out of work. And it was like, I think about that now fondly. Because that's a, that's probably never going to come back like that. Where right. you can you don't you, have that time. You can practice like that. So I mean, I pass that along to a lot of young students and young drummers. That if you're able to do that, like do it. Yeah. And I really and I really enjoyed. And I think you're the same way. And I think we all are. That I enjoyed actually just practicing every day, working mm-hmm. on these things. I really really enjoyed it. You yeah. Know, I miss it in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think the hard. I think the thing that a lot of kids are afraid of when they're practicing drums is to struggle through it for, yeah. for a while before uh-huh. and but man that feeling when when you're finally when you can't do something and then it and then boom you can right. do it it's it's like crack yes. <laughs> you know that not that i know what that's like but <laughs> if you were to picture what crack was like yeah that, that would be that's it. pretty much exactly what it's like <laughs> um my struggle with the drums is i don't think i went far back enough in my uh education and and my drum vocabulary so that's something i'm trying to come back to now Mm -hmm. i I wouldn't say that's a struggle though i wouldn't not a struggle but it's something that i uh i wish i had had 
done earlier. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I, we all have that. There, there's so yeah. many. Un, there's so many missteps I took, and I think that's what gives you good perspective later on. You know, I think that's helped in my teaching a lot. Is some of the things I've been able to do, and actually, I was just saying this the other day. When I did finally switch to drums, I was so adamant about playing the drums. Yeah. I honestly shut a lot of, like, I was like, that's it. I'm going to rock now. I'm not playing the cello anymore. Yeah. And I got so bullheaded about it. Even if things remotely, someone's like, hey, man, you should take theory. I'm like, no way. I'm okay. like, yeah. I'm like, do you see any theory on rock? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do you see, I, uh, do you see a theory lesson on Zeppelin 4? I don't think so. Like, yeah. It, but, um, unbeknownst to me that that would have you know i did later on and i had to you know once you do it later on it's a lot harder so i definitely passed that along um to the students like do do everything yeah keep your Play mind another open. instrument like yourself i'm very envious of how well you sing and how well that you can oh, that's nice. sing and play guitar Mm. I, I would give away a lot of my drumming ability to be able to do that. Yeah, you know? I think a lot of that is is also my my outlet. That's my other. Uh, I do that to relax. Mm -hmm. No, let me ask you a question. Just I'm curious. Yeah, do you think of yourself as a complete musician? Or are you drummer first, and the other stuff is more of like I love it, but you know, I like you. When I was first starting to play the drums, I only wanted to play drums. Mm -hmm. I only wanted to rock. I only wanted to do this stuff. And I didn't realize that I, I didn't discover my, my voice and my singing voice until high school um, because I had this great choir teacher and it became cool to be in choir. Yeah. Like a lot of the athletes, I was an athlete too. So like a lot of the athletes would come and, and we're in band, we're in marching band, we're in symphonic band, we're in wow, that's great. choir. And it was a very... Um, it was a very kind of open-armed group, so we got all, we all got into the the same stuff. There was pockets of of different groups of kids, but we were all kind of like brought together by this one thing. Mm -hmm. And my choir teacher really pushed me to keep singing. He got me into private singing lessons. Um, I always took drum lessons and stuff but i had this other thing that i like always love to do that's great i almost feel like sometimes i like singing more than i like playing drums drums mm -hmm. is is more of this thing that i really have to to work hard at um singing comes a little bit more naturally to me which is kind of a weird thing to say because i've been playing drums for <laughs> for so long but right um it's just it's just the thing that rounds me out um, because I'm not the most technical player. I'm not the best drummer in the world. Um, I'm not the best drummer in this room. So it's like, I need that other thing to kind of get me the extra, the extra mile. And yeah. I started playing guitar when I was in middle school too, but that was all by ear. Wow. I would just, you know, I, that's kind of how I learn. Um, I can't, I have that goes a, back to uh, yeah. growing up, you would just have stuff lying around the house. Like, you'd pick it up, you'd just start. I'm using air quotes, everybody, but the play yeah. aspect is yeah. really huge yeah. to developing. And my dad was was kind of like a little bit of the same the same way was it was like all right well if you're gonna if i'm gonna get you a guitar or something like you need to learn to play three songs on this shitty guitar that I we already it. that we already have so i would start out literally with the guitar flat on my lap because i couldn't i couldn't get my arm around, around it. it yeah and uh and i would play like that and i would strum i would learn 
I, I kept on listening to what the intervals sounded like and then until I could eventually play it upright and then learn some chords. And I remember MTV had a show on it. I, I remember this very vividly. It had a show where it was teaching you how to play guitar. Like well, almost like I don't remember that at all. That's crazy. It was like a Carson Daly MTV Live thing. It was like one segment that they did. They had they had like tabature up on oh, the wow. thing. So I learned how to play like an E major chord, E minor, a, like all that stuff. And then I was kind of hooked to it. Um, and then then you watched <clears throat> yeah Real World Road Rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, where did my guitar play? Like, where did the music go? Um, but yeah, to answer your question. Um, I think I'm. I think I feel like a little bit more well-rounded as as like a raw musician. Like I, I mm-hmm. hear things as um, like emotionally and and uh, sound-wise. I have a very hard time um, comprehending the uh, the technical aspect of it. Like I was I was always I always had a hard time with like reading comprehension and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. even when I uh, at Berkeley when I would be in classes like learning how to to read stuff it would take me so long right. it would take me so long to to get the get the music off the paper mm-hmm. you know what i mean yep so i i became a very audible kind of learner so it's it's funny because i feel very similar in being a drummer all my life and and really studying at one point the rudiments a lot in the marching band drumming yeah and then really studied jazz drumming so but i've really always connected I mean, I've, I've obviously I, I have the drummers I love, but for me, the bigger thing was always I loved the music first. Mm-hmm. And the great thing was a lot of the music ended up either having the same drummers or the same groups of drummers. So almost in an organic way, all this music I really loved yeah. had great drumming. Yeah. So those guys became my favorite drummers. Right. Because, I, I, you know, I'll talk to uh, great friends of mine that are great drummers and you know, there's so many guys that have all of this drum knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. I have a, a, a fair amount and, you know, and fair amount of skills. But thinking of music, when I have to then, there's a lot of times, you know, whether I'm leading an ensemble or doing something not related to drums, yeah. there is that bit. It, the, it is so much slower as to when I'm not speak, speaking drums, so to say. Right, right, You right, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and your ear is in the, like, your ear moves so quickly and you're involved in so much music. You know what you want to hear. Right. But it's knowing that language. Yeah. And it's like you have to it come back to such a slow step, you mm-hmm. know. And a lot of the people I play with are so proficient at their voice. And some of them are such great, well-rounded musicians anyways. Yeah. You know, their their ears on some of these guys are just incredible. It's they, incredible. They hear everything and they, they, you know, this, transposing keys. And, you know, sometimes I get in, involved in that in my mind and mm-hmm. just be like, wow, that is so far ahead of where I can do that. I forget right. that actually that I am a drummer. Right. So that, that oh, I go through that same that same thing. So I think head. it's it's done my drumming a lot of good because it's kept I think a lot of ego out of my drumming. Yep. It's kept me from you know only playing what's appropriate, but there's times I get so down on myself. I'm like, man, uh, these guys are such superior musicians. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and we're involved in all the same music, and I, I can't really speak a lot of. I mean, I work on it. You know, I'm always chipping yeah. away at it. Yeah, yeah. And um, but I have to remind myself sometimes that yeah. your voice is the drums. And it's funny because I have, I'm also super hard on myself. I record almost every performance, mm-hmm. and I listen back, and and I'm like, you know, I beat myself up over it. But um, it's just 
I almost feel like I got, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, I just, yes. I just like, all right, I, I just found this thing and you almost work on the things that you're good at too much. And then you don't go back. So, so lately I've been reading, I've been taking the time reading a lot more about the theory. Um, I mean, I know music theory, but not, I don't have it like ingrained. I can't mm-hmm. like look at a thing and, and, right. and just know it right away. Mm-hmm. I have to figure, you know, it takes me a second, but I've been working on like going back, going through the rudiments, doing the, yeah. the drum ritual, doing, doing all the stuff. And, and, uh, I have to take it really slow. And then I go in and play a thing and, and all that natural stuff comes back and yep. you go back to your, your habits. I think taking that. it slow is really important. You know, yeah, you can't. There's no other way. And I, I think, um, not for me anyway. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, you know, the people, especially now young, and I see this in students. I think the processing of, or maybe I was just slow at processing info. And like yourself, I've always had a few things that, and even now I keep going back to it. It's like I'm still milking the same concepts, mainly because, not that I'm good at it. It's like I've, I haven't gotten enough uh, juice out of it. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? There's certain yeah. concepts that that are, are a big part of what I do, and everybody's like, "That's great." And are you 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 know? It's always stunning when someone's like, "Oh, you really got that thing down," and I'm like, "That I'm still working I'm still on working that. on that. That's yeah. not even close to where that should be." Right. But right. because maybe you're working on it all the time, you do have a, a sense of mastery over whatever that is. That's a that's a com- comfort. That's true. Thing, you know. That's true. So um, I do that, and I, I think listening to yourself is huge. I think um, being hard on yourself, you know, having... To a healthy level. To a healthy level. Just making sure what you're hearing what the others hear when you're not playing. So... Oh, that's a... So you know what I mean? That's such a great way to say that. Yeah, that's a Billy... You know who Billy Ward is? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a Billy Ward thing. He says, tape yourself, and he's so right. And... um, Because when you're playing... You you don't you are not hearing what what, what other people no. hear. No, and and, on, and that's why that's such a great way to put. Well, that. and it's taken years because you're sensitive, or at least I was for so many years. You someone would be like, "Oh, it's too fast, it's too slow, it's mm-hmm. this," and you're just like, "Why is this person like? They're just making that stuff up." But yeah. once you get out of the moment, mm-hmm. you 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 know you take a metronome and put it to your playing, you're like, "Woof, it's wow, like, oh man, wow, that's fast, that's revealing, and that's me." Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. in the moment, you're always like, oh, that's not me. That's not, yeah, no, it's you. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, and then, you know, you do enough of that, then you can have an amazing moment where you get home and, you know, I listen to something I did or I watch it. And we live in a world now that you can't escape anything. Right. It's like, yeah. See, I'm, I'm old enough. There was, <laughs> there was a time where there was, you could have a bad gig. No one would know about it. Nowadays, <laughs> yeah. nowadays, gonna know about nowadays it. it's posted before you even wake up. Yeah. Well, the thing is when I'm done playing, playing a gig with Carbon Leaf, I can go on Instagram or Facebook and just watch a clip right after I'm right. done. I know. I can literally go on Instagram and be like, oh, there's a there's there a is. one minute clip of of How about this? How playing? about when you keep your phone on stage, you know, I just always have it there. And I you know, you have your alerts and mainly sometimes I always just like an alert from home, like we're all good and this and that. You but you see an alert, you've been tagged you've in been something tagged. and you're like the show's not even <laughs> it's over. It's like I'm still playing. I'm still playing. Yeah, yeah. That mistake is fresh. Do we it have happens to, all the time? We, I know. But what's been great is to then take that clip and then use, you know, the metronome app or whatever and just be like, let's see where this time goes. And there's oh, been great times that yeah, yeah. it's where you want it to be. And yeah. so that's a then that's a victory. And then you gotta go with that. Um 
I, I think the people that have had the biggest impact besides drummers and my teachers on my playing are other musicians with uh, feedback that even at the time, you know, would seem harsh or, or right. seem, it was honest in, yeah. in other words. And it hurts. And, it hurts when, when, well, yeah, it hurts because you, you can't help but think that it's criticism, but you know, criticism also can be con- constructive, mm-hmm. you know, and if you've had people that, you know, and there are people that just give criticism, but I've been really fortunate. I would say almost the majority of people I've played with through the years, I've learned so much from all of them and a few in particular, um, and I have one bass player. Um, he's more than a bass player. He's a complete musician. I play with him all the time. He will, every once in a while, give me the most insightful things. He'll just be like, you know, and then he'll have a way of saying it. It's Bruno Rayberg. Um, I don't know if you know Bruno, but he's, just, so. he's a master musician. He teaches at Berkeley, and I play with him a lot. And we play a lot of jazz, a lot of creative music. And he'll just, you know, he'll have something. He'll say, you know, you know, when you go for that idea, it's really good. He's like, you should really start it soft and let it build. You know, he'll just every yeah. once in a while and it will be like, Poof. yeah, I was like, wow, he's right. I do do that all the time. Yep. You know, and he's like, you know, break up just a little bit of the time. And he just picks the right time to say it, that it's not, you know, and I'm almost like, I want more of it. Yeah. 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 So I'll be like, you know, I'm sure I drive him nuts because sometimes I'm like, yeah, what, what, what's not sounding good? He's like, that sounds great. And I'm like, no, no. And he'd be like, no. all right, well, no, give me the other stuff. Yeah. Think about this. And then, um, well, know, there, what, are, there are times when you're more open to receive the, the, absolutely. the thing. And, you know, obviously it's not like right after you finish the tune or whatever, yeah. but, <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> I've seen happen before. Yeah, yeah, I've had it happen to me and it, it doesn't go well. It was warranted. I needed it. You yeah. Know? I, and I have to be better about doing that. <laughs> then like i just think of you know sometimes as a teacher or leading an ensemble i'm always always trying to be positive first you yeah know? and then because that's in my nature and that was some other great teachers i had were like that they were positive uh great band director when i was there at umass he passed away was george parks he had this saying that was um praise correct praise mm. and i always thought that was really great and i think of that and what he's saying is you know, you want to start out by, first of all, which everybody, I think, a lot of people take for granted, you know, like, the fact someone's there playing or being there, like, you need to acknowledge that. That's like, you know, like, hey, Jesse, man, looks great. Thanks for coming over. Or sounds great, man. So happy you're here. And then you can be like, you know, um, man, you know, on that tune, I think we're just a little bit too fast. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you yeah. praise, then you say, then you, you correct something. Yeah. And then you, you reinforce by being like, but man... You know, it's a little too fast, but man, there's so much about what I love that you do. Yeah. So it's what it does to the person. It puts them at ease and it also doesn't kill their confidence. Yes. Because when you're in your head and you're fixing things too much, confidence can sometimes really, and I'm I'm not talking about ego or arrogance. I'm talking about confidence, like the ability to just go at something with with the knowledge that it's going to be correct or you need to play that way yeah because sometimes we fear the mistakes or we want to please everybody or where you know this stuff if you let it it can build sometimes oh yeah i mean you just probably went through a lot of that being in a gig and i've i've done this i'm doing it where there's a history so you want to be you. You want to make sure you're, you're pleasing stuff. But you can al- you can almost feel feel that somebody would be like, well, what if this person from 20 years ago is here and these people are here and they're used to hearing it a certain way and am oh. I doing that? Oh yeah, I think about it all uh, the time. Do they not like me? And it's yeah. like, right? I, I yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I've gone through that a few times. 
I went through that when I started playing with with Kellogg, Steven. yeah, and and now with Carbon Leaf. But the I kind of learned. I had a little bit of an ego about it when I started playing with with Steven because I was like, oh man, I can I can do this better than than what was happening before. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm obviously thinking this internally, uh, not right now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but ultimately it ended up getting to a, to a good place. But I would take those thoughts, I would play the thing, but ultimately Steven was the one that was hearing things how how he needed to hear them right so he would come back at me with with his you know like you would say his correcting or his criticisms and he is not a shy guy about telling you what's wrong Mm -hmm. and what needs to be fixed so once i started playing a few gigs and getting pat and 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 fans saying oh where's boots where's where's the old guys where are the sixers when are the sixers coming back and all this stuff then the more we played together, the better it got. The more I I kind of let that wash away and let that not bother me. And I just kind of did my thing. I served the music. That's when people would say that less and less. Yeah. Until they were saying, where's Jesse? Why isn't Jesse on this tour yeah. or whatever? Which, is, which has been happening lately. Which is, it's a bummer for Steven. And right. it's, it's a bummer that he has to deal with that stuff mm-hmm. because... You know, it's his thing. You know, he wants people to to be like, "I'm happy Steven is coming to town to play." Yeah, and it doesn't matter who is behind him because I know it's going to sound good. So I used a lot of those lessons going into the gig with Carbon Leaf, and I um, ultimately I was like, "Can we get Jason out here? I want to meet him. I want to make this like not weird. I want to make it cool. I want the fans to know that like this is." A smooth transition and, and we're and I, i'm serving the music the best i can mm-hmm. and i'm trying to learn all the old ca- i mean the catalog is fucking huge yep it's it's hundreds and hundreds of songs I so bet. it took a long time it's like 30 years worth of stuff yeah it took a long time to, and i'm still i'm still you know a fan will bring up a a song in a meet and greet before the show meet and greet yeah and uh, we usually play a couple acoustic tunes before the show and uh and i'm like i've i don't know what song that is yeah <laughs> so and then i'll put it in my list of things to do for the next day but it's hard it's hard when you have to go through that sure that thing and you know but you're you're there and uh yeah no it's cool that's that's what's important yeah it's cool and um you know, a lot, a lot of the struggles now are just uh, the internal struggle of, like, do I really love all this travel? Do I really love, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to figure, navigate my, my own personal stuff. But um, what is, like, your day-to-day thing as as professional? I mean, I'm sure we go through a lot of the same stuff, but I want to know how you approach approach uh, the Boston music scene and, and uh, like, you know... Are you are you like emailing every day trying to get you know how you build your your uh, thing? Well, um, I'd say it took me really about ten years, yeah, to get where I'm at now, and um, <clears throat> of ten years of doing everything, yeah, teaching teaching drum lines, jam sessions sessions, yeah, house call lessons, I mean. Now that I think about it, I did a lot, and um, I made. Um, I'm fortunate. I've had some fortunate breaks with people around here that I've gotten not just great players, great friends. Yeah. So I have a couple kind of. 
I don't want to call them circles, but yeah, they are circles of, of guys I know. And yeah. through them, I've, I've met other guys. And so I think at this point, I have a, three or four um, what I would call steady gigs. Yeah. A couple of them, one of them is a big one that, that gets me out of town a few times a year, which is great. I just did two weeks with that. Who's, who's that with? With Tom Hambridge. Okay. Tom is a drummer, actually. Okay. And he plays with, he's currently with Buddy Guy, and he's also a producer. And he's produced uh, several of Buddy's last albums. But Tom was a drummer. He had a band back here in the 80s called TH and the Wreckage. And he's a drummer, and he sings. So he's a lot like you. Yeah. And he's a great singer, great front man. So about 10 years ago, a friend of mine, bass player Sven Larsen, uh, recommended me. They needed a guy. What he does is he has a guy play while he fronts the band. Mm-hmm. Then he comes back for part of the show and, and plays, and then you go back. So it's yeah. like that's actually something I've been trying to figure out how to. Yeah, how it's to like pull backing off. Phil Collins, you know. Yeah. <laughs> with with one kit. Yeah. But so and Tom has been great, and that has been um, quite an amazing experience in in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um, that gig is is uh, really good. It's um it's not like months at a time. It's usually very small spurts, but they're very good. Yep. You know we do we've been doing the last couple of years these um kind of legendary rhythm and blues cruises. We just did the Joe Bonamassa cruise. Oh last really? Week. Yeah. Are those uh, who runs who runs those cruises? Uh, the Bonamassa one is run by Sixth Man. Sixth Man. Okay. Yep. So they do the rock boat. They, yes, they do. Yeah, they, they do, do about eighteen a year. Dude, those it, those cruises are crazy. I've done the rock boat. I've done sail across the sun with yep. with train, and they're fun, man. They're a blast. They're, they're really a festival. Fun. They are. I think they're really, you know, for a musician, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. For fans, I know they're they're costly, but really, if you're a fan of the music, so worth it. It's absolutely worth it because so worth not it. only is it. You know, you don't really have an experience where you can kind of coexist with the musicians for a week. Right. And the legendary ones are very laid back yeah. to the point, you know. Great network networking opportunity. Yeah, yeah I've too. met some amazing people that I yep. wouldn't have met otherwise. I've, I remember I've met, one of my first friends. cruises, we were on it, and uh, Alan Toussaint was on, and Buddy was on. And I just remember on, on a ship, if uh, you sound like you're familiar with the cruise ship, they have yeah. something called the Lido Deck, yep. which is where all the food is. Mm-hmm. And I remember late night, we were on the Lido deck, and I just look over, and there is, like, Alan Toussaint sitting there just eating, and he's got, like, his, his sequin coat on, and I had just <laughs> I had just watched his show, which blew my mind, and he did all, he did his whole catalog of songs, like Sneaking Sally Through the Alley and Mother-in-Law, and it was just huge for me, being a big fan of, of oh, that yeah. music. So... Tom, is, that band's been amazing. And through that band, I've met um, Sal Baglio, who was, uh, Sal is kind of a, a Boston rock legend. He had a band called the Stompers for years. He still does. Yeah. And actually, I'm doing dates with Stompers this year. Awesome. Yeah, I did a couple last year. Um, so that's not unlike your Carbon Leaf situation. That band's 40 years old. Wow. I had to come in and um, do the music justice, know that there were people that, know that there was a situation that had nothing to do with me. Um, that I couldn't think about, yeah. that I just had to come in and do the best. And the thing with that is Sal's a great friend, and we're bandmates together in this other band. So, you know, you want to go in and do a great job. Yeah. I and mean, you want to serve the music. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the fans were awesome. Everybody was great, you know? and those awesome. And, and you know, you got to expect, too, I always think about when I go to see something, and I, I very rarely, I just want to enjoy it even if it's not the exact people. And I've always found that I have more reverence for the people I'm going to watch than I do for myself. I'm like, well, why is that? It's like, because oh, yeah. you That's think common. that everybody is like out there 
right, waiting for you to, to do to fail. Whereas yeah. it's like when you go to you know a lot and you go to see people and you're just like, man, I just want to enjoy this. I want to enjoy it. I'm taking the positive thing out of everything. I love everything mm-hmm. this guy's doing. Mm-hmm. But yet when you're playing, you're like somebody out there is is just gonna hone in on everything I don't do yeah. well. It's almost but like, I don't think that's true. It's like you're scanning the crowd yes. for the person that is ju- just completely judging you. Yes, <laughs> and that actually is just you. You've superimposed your own thing to that people. I've had I've had. Uh, one fan in particular uh no i don't even i don't even know this person <laughs> but someone someone came up to me they have the hate yeah it was it was the most backhanded comp it wasn't even to me it was to uh to our guitar player he comes up to me after he's like i love the show i love you you're you're great um but i just wanted to say one thing like uh frets on a fiddle our, our guitar player also yeah. plays fiddle and he has he has these these frets on on his fiddle and mm-hmm. i don't know like i don't care all i know is that he plays that thing really well right but <clears throat> the guy could not stop fixating on it he was like frets on a fiddle man i don't know that's uh, i've been playing fiddle for 20 years like frets on a fiddle and i was standing with my cousin so he's yeah. he's experiencing this whole thing and and, and like, well, i'm like is this are you what do you want me to say to you right now? I would say, well, awesome. You've been playing 20 years. Sounds yeah. like you're really good. What's yeah. your band? Yeah. Does your band, did your band just sell out? I uh, wish we 5, had 5,000 steep theater like my friend did. <laughs> I, I really want to hear your band. I wish, because I really wish we had this conversation before that. I know this guy has been that. in Carbon Leaf 25 years yeah. and uh, they're selling out everywhere. Yeah. But man, and he's doing that with frets, and you don't play with frets. Wow, yeah. man! I really, I gotta hear you. It's like I gotta hear, I gotta, I gotta hear, hear you do that. You know, I actually did say what I said to him after he wouldn't let it go. I was like, "Well, he's on stage, and you're in the audience." Yeah, exactly. So, well, and, and you know, it's great. I just think that, and I think we can't be sensitive about this. It's just on any level, people. I don't know what it is. Will are so blunt to musicians they say stuff to musicians you would never say to anyone with any other uh profession oh ever yeah Yeah. well did you ever get the thing with like oh so what do you actually what do you actually do do? it's like no no this is this is what i this is this this is what i do this is what i've trained my whole life my whole life that you know i've put my whole livelihood into this craft and i'm not even saying good or bad i'm saying this is what i've decided to do yeah it's like would you ever i mean you think about a chef. And I know people do rude things to chefs, too. And they go through with a lot of the same thing. Yeah. But you think about, I mean, would anyone ever just walk in a restaurant and just, like, just say something? Maybe maybe they do. But I just find that people come up to musicians and say the rudest things. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, like no, hello, this and that. And I'm like, would you yeah. ever go up to somebody else and do that? Yeah. Well, and there's two things. I think. There are types of people that that's how they are no matter what. Yeah. The guy who said the whole frets on a thing, he probably went to something else the next day and said something is equally as unaware. Let's yeah. use that word. Yeah. Like, he's just not an aware person to know that, you know. I feel like that's the same person that goes on Yelp and only writes bad reviews. Right. I don't know what the, what going on Yelp is, but I've heard of it. So, I'm going <laughs> to... You know what going on in the office? I do know what it is, but it's like I can't even I can't even get with that type of thing. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like going and and you're you're always gonna find something negative. Right. Always. You know. It's, it's just it's no, unfor- no, no, it's unfortunate. Have, yeah. But I just think the other thing too is that's just the way it is. You know, like people are like, unless you're in a situation where you're 
playing for a crowd that wants to be there and pays to be there. Yeah. And even then you'll have people that, that come up, yeah. you know, so it's kind of, once you really get your head around that, you can kind of let it go a little bit. Yeah. But I think it's playing, you know, the smaller places. I mean, and, and as, as a local musician, I think the reality is the majority of gigs we have are in places that aren't 100% designed to be venues of um, yeah. the best performance. You're not, I, you're not in a listening environment. Exactly. Really. So there's always people that love it. There's always going to be people there that, you know want it to be background music you know there's people there that want it um you know that they can not have it interfere with the celtics game that's on yeah you know so there is a lot of that as a local musician that did and i I don't know what other places are like because i don't live there but i know how it is around here and yeah you know there's a lot of positive i'm not trying to be negative but you know this is kind of par for the course. Yeah. And especially, and volume is always a huge thing. And as a drummer, you're sensitive to that because you get blamed for that no matter what. Yeah. And I find that that is the biggest thing that causes people to be blunt, that they're so used to music being too loud. Before you've done anything, everybody just assumes, you know, it's like that whole joke, hey, those cases, they look loud. Yeah. <laughs> your, your, your gear looks loud. Your gear looks super loud. Yeah. That's funny. Like, Coming at it as a guitarist and a singer, you're always you're always super thankful for the opportunity to play in a an event or have some have someone pay you to play there. Yeah. And even if it's not the most conducive environment for, you know, a dude playing acoustic guitar and singing, you're like, I I always have to find, you know, the the strength within myself to be like, okay. These people are not here to see you. You need to just do a good job. You need to really do your best job. Right. And hopefully a couple of people will look over and be like, oh, I really, I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Don't, don't try to steal the attention in the mm-hmm. room. Just do your thing and like, and whoever is going to enjoy it is going to enjoy it. I have such different experiences whenever I'm playing drums I in bet. a place like that or whenever You're I'm You're a little more naked out there with the guitar and singing. You're not yeah. hiding behind. And I'm also not like, you know, as comfortable on the guitar as right. I am behind a drum kit. And it's also, done you a you world know, of good, I bet. You know, I just, think so. I think know, so. I, I bet. I know it has. Yeah. So uh, back to, um, you know, what is it like around here? Yeah. So, um, again, I'm, I'm really fortunate. Um, I have a few steady projects, I sub with a lot. I'm fortunate that I also have in some of the projects, um, I have a really good stable of great friends that are great drummers that, um, and I will say that about the Boston scene in general. I think there's so many great drummers that are all very supportive of each other. Yeah. And I don't know how that is with other instruments, but I find with drums, it's really, I feel like with drums, it's, it's much better than with other instruments. I I think so too. I I mean, every great drummer I know in this town is unbelievably supportive. Yeah. Unbelievably good about helping. I've had more guys really, the gigs that I have that are steady, a lot of them is, um, you know, been referred by other great drummers that just had so much work. I mean, gravel project, which I've played with now uh, seven years when I first started with them, which yeah. you, you play with too. Yeah. Um, Dean Johnston recommended me for that. Oh, okay. And Dean was a great friend. He's a great drummer. Yeah. And um, he had done the album and I think he just, it was something he didn't have time for. He recommended me to Andrew and, um, you know, recommended me highly that I could go in and do a good job because Andrew was like, Dean spoke very highly of you. And yeah. so even when someone's saying that on your first gig, it, it almost puts you at ease. And yeah. then at the same time, you're like, well, I really want to do a good job. I don't want to 
yeah. you know, Dean put put his word out for me, and he's done that several times, which is I'm eternally grateful for. And even this with us, it's like we both play some of the same gigs, and right? It's, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. And it's great that you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great that you know. Well, I feel like this this situation, like being friends and stuff. It, there's no like, there's never any weirdness. It's like, oh yeah, Dave can't do it. I'll fill in. Ex- All right, exactly Dave, right. Dave can do it. Great. Awesome. Because then what happens is it keeps everybody. Because the reality is. To play professionally, you um, in a perfect world, you'd be doing, you know, you'd find a one gig you believe in, one or two gigs, and you'd be able to give that your all. Right. But there is the reality, too, that I have got to have a, and this comes a lot to me, and working with some people that are amazing about scheduling and amazing with knowing your situation. Yep. That, um, and communicating. Yep. And, um, you know, important. I got to make sure that the... That thing over there, which is uh, my day planner and then my several legal pads, is always going on and, and keeping up to date. And My desk looks just <laughs> like that. I got my planner, my computer, and my, my yellow legal pads. Yep. I got two of them. Exactly. One for, one for notes. Yep. And then the other one for like... Yeah, I'm a list person. Schedule. Yeah, me too. I gotta Same. be. But, and I think, um, so in order to survive, you, you, you figure out what gigs need to be going, how much teaching needs to be going. And yep. I think over 10 years, I found a really good um, balance of how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time I just tried, I worked as much as I could. I took every gig. Yep. Then you can kind of back off of that a little bit because um, you have to. You have to figure out what's working. And, right. And you know what? Everybody's great. You know, I mean, it's, um, I've had very, very, very few situations where I feel that a, a bridge has been burned. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? But I think so around here, I've got a good stable, steady gigs. I fill in and then I've got a couple really good teaching situations, you know, that I've been at for a while. And um, I try and set my schedule. I try and leave a little bit of wiggle room because um, things happen. Yeah. You know, I think I was for many years going at it, no wiggle room at all gigging financially you know it was living gig to gig yeah and then you live in new england you lose there was one year we lost a month of gigs because of snow i mean everybody did and it was like yeah then it's like all right we're back to to ground zero right so or you know square one yeah uh and then there's a couple things that kind of like okay when this person calls be ready to clear the calendar yep you know and and i think everybody's been really understanding like tom calls and it's like all right you know gotta do it but yeah um yeah for, fortunately the, the carbon leaf guy they book they book almost a year out that's great so in december or, or november december i pretty much know what my schedule is going to be for the next the whole next year and then you can yeah it in things place. change and things have moved uh-huh. around a bit this year just because mm-hmm. of uh uh we're going to be recording some new stuff that's so you great. have to add in some blocks where people can do yep. things uh but I mean, it's all been working out so far. The the challenge is, is having people locally knowing when I'm around <laughs> so they can, if, you know, I, yes. I know a ton of people that are like, all right, well, Jesse's not around. let us know, let us know when you're back. And, and cause they won't call, they won't yeah. call you unless, you right. know, cause they think you're just always away. So which yeah, is a bummer. it's, it's, um, it's good. I mean, I feel like it's seemingly like there's less and less places to play. Hmm. But yet, if I feel like if it's fluctuating, I, but everybody's somehow. still kind of gigging. I mean, everybody's staying at it, which yeah. is which is amazing. I feel like a lot of it is like get into a place that's like 
mm-hmm. that's trying out music. Right. Get in there, see how long it can how last. Long it lasts. And yeah. then and then one shop closes up and you try to find another I will one. say I definitely know there's a difference from when I got out of college, moved back down here, mm-hmm. quit the insurance thing and was like, I'm gonna get in bands and playing. There was I mean, it was a part of that too that I was at that age when I was in original bands and you'd be on there were more kind of I was more in tune to that. Right. And there was more of a scene of that. Right. And a lot of those clubs are gone um, or been replaced by a different type of thing. Yeah. You know, I remember there used to be where Bright Music Hall was. It was Harper's Ferry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you remember Harper's Ferry? I remember I played there. Played there a few times when I was. I remember there was one year I played. It felt like I played there like 15 times. Really? Yeah. I wow. felt like we were. I was on a gig there every like Wednesday night, you know, and it was. It was, uh, and it was like, it was the whole gamut, you yeah. know, it was like an early gig and, um, the band I played with and it wasn't, it was, it was decent, you know, and, and people would come out. There was a lot, there was a couple things to it. I felt like more people used to come out. You were younger. So your social network was into making their social scene when you were playing. Yeah, exactly. Whereas now even people that used to be a fan, they're like, yeah, uh, maybe we'll come out. It's and I trust me, I understand. It's like you know, it's hard yeah. to get out. It's hard. It's hard. Very to get, hard. It's hard to get people out. Too. It sure is. But when you're younger, and back then, it just seemed like people were out a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they'd get it because there was no, um, there was no. If you had a website, you were really savvy, right? I mean, this is when you used to f- put up flyers for gigs. Yeah, you know, that was still part of that scene. And, um, and that's how I met actually like Dean Johnson. We used to do band. We, I was in a band that would open for his band and we would just kind of hang around with those guys a little bit. And, uh, there was a band house that was near his band house in Brighton and, and, um, it's kind of how it worked. So yeah. I, that may still be there. I know that for me that that hasn't really been a reality for a long time. It's, it's yeah. much more. And there was a point too, where while I was working and, you know, the original band was great was chugging along for a couple of years, but I was like, do I just want to be in bands and work a career and just jump from band to band? Or do I actually want to, I remember coming to the decision that like, I actually want to be a musician Yeah, and that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to go all in on this good or bad Yeah, and, and make my living doing this. Yeah. You know? And I think, yeah. I think that's a, a huge thing when you do that, you know, because why we do what we do is because of, you know, the original idea was to get in the perfect musical situation that's going to take care of everything that's the the dream quote unquote i'm going to get the gig or the thing yeah with the hit song and and i think it's still out there i mean there there are guys that you know you can you can definitely be a touring musician and you can find like yourself yep you know you can do that and i have another um younger drummer friend who's great and he he was just like my goal is to be a touring musician he's like i'm moving to nashville i'm like do it yeah do it man yeah you know i mean it's there if that's the, all the goal is and you're willing to do it, it's there. And the time is when you're when you're young to to make Absolutely. the move. Absolutely. What, what I don't think is there is I don't think, and I don't know if this ever existed or maybe it did. I think that sometimes that there's a thought that if you do certain things, it's going to lead to another thing. And although that does happen musically, I think that something that served me very well is just saying. Instead of worrying about what leads to things, this is what it is. This gig you're on is it. Yeah. You're not doing this gig because you think this other guy's going to hear you and or this pe- person's going to see you. You do this gig 
Because A, you want to be here and you're going to do the best you can. Yeah. yeah. And because a lot, oftentimes that is what it is. Because sometimes, I remember even years ago, people be like, oh, I saw you played with this. Well, is that gonna, what is that going to lead to? And I'm like, I think it just led to that gig. Yeah. And I'm really happy to do it and play with those people. Yeah. Because if your mind is like, where is that? And I'm not talking about musically. Musically, you always want things to lead to something. You always want to be like... Because the opposite of that is bad too. If you're doing a bunch of gigs and musically, it's not it it has not sparked anything. Like it's the same thing over yeah, and over. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. That that can be very detrimental to your growth. But I think, in terms of your career or thinking where it's going, if you've got this idea, I'm going to be doing this X because it's going to lead to, around here. I don't think that exists. I'm sure that there there is a way to do that. But I think around here, if there's a great opportunity and a great gig, that's it. And you do it. Yep. And you'd be happy you have it. And yeah, I to- I completely agree with that. You know. But that that's important to try your best all the time in your gig and wherever it may lead, it may lead, but mm-hmm. but wherever you are, you need to be present. Wherever wherever exactly. Yeah. Wherever awesome. you, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Is that, isn't that, that that's the same? That's the same. Uh is there anything else? I don't know. I enjoyed chatting you, man. This was great. It was like awesome. We were all over the place, but I think we, we kind of got there. It'll, it'll work it'll itself out. It'll edit in post. Is that what they say? Yeah, it'll post. work itself out. No, man. Um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it's great talking music and, and, and the whole thing. You yeah. Know. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me. All right. So please check out Dave Fox uh, at his website, www.davefoxdrums.com. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. And please check out those shows. <clears throat> and be sure to check out. <laughs> and be sure to check out uh, Carbon Leaf this weekend up in the Northeast. And then next week down in Washington, D.C. Next week. Stay tuned. Best podcast ever. <laughs>